Welcome to the Christian Worship Center podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you. Visit us online at cwcbayarea.com for service times and directions. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. And I'm going to speak to you on the topic of revived to works. I know that might not be a popular subject for everybody. But revived to works this morning. James chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. It says this. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled. Isn't this something that us Christians do? All the time, right? You might not, this might not be the, the, the scenario you're in, but when someone tells us something, what is our number one response as Christians? Uh, I'm going to pray for you. And we usually don't, right? We usually don't. Someone's pouring out their heart and, oh, brother, I'm going to pray for you. Or, you know, or we'll respond on Facebook, you know, lifting you up in prayer. But how many actually stop, hit our knees, and actually do it? Right. James says this. What good does it do if if your brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed or in our sense, I'll pray for you. But you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Let's pray this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your word. But I pray, let it bring a challenge and change to our hearts. And as a result of it, let us never, ever be the same again. In Jesus' name, we all say, amen. amen. You may be seated. How many of you are expecting a fruitful year? I'm talking like this is going to be a great year. You've said it from the very beginning of January, leaving December of 2018. You walked into 2019 and you said, this is going to be my year, a fruitful year. How many are expecting a fruitful year? Can I tell you that a fruitful year is the result of a year full of faith, faithful work? Nothing happens just to happen. Fruitfulness is a combination of faith and works running hand in hand to accomplish a goal. I'll say it again in case you missed it. That fruitfulness is a combination of faith and works running hand in hand together to accomplish a goal. So if you are declaring this to be a fruitful year, It also has to be, and it's not a word, so all you people out there that are into the English word, you have to be a workful year as well. You're not going to find it in a dictionary. That's a unique word to Pastor Nick right now. It has to be a workful year because the Bible says that faith without works is meaningless. It does nothing. It means this, that it does absolutely nothing for you to believe for something and not... go after it, or begin to work the ground. It does absolutely no good for us to be prayed for, yet do nothing outside of here. You see, the book of James makes a very strong argument on the subject of faith and works. And the argument he makes asks the question, can faith or works stand alone? Meaning, can you have one without the other? It's kind of like, can you, can you eat a peanut butter jelly, a peanut butter sandwich without the jelly? You, you, you might, but it's not going to taste as good. 
Right. And a lot of people in church, you have great faith and you believe God to move mountains. You're the type of person, even if I have a little bit of faith, the size of a mustard seed, I'm going to say to that mountain, be removed. And then on the flip side, there's some of you who are hard workers. You're hard workers and you feel like if I put in my hard work, then it's going to happen. The Bible says this, that apart from each other, apart from faith and works, apart from each other, divorced from each other, that nothing comes about. Because when you have faith, but you don't do works, all you are is a person who believes for great things, but nothing ever happened. And if you have works, but you have no faith, all you are is a person who has to work extremely hard just to get little results. But when we have a combination of the two of them together, that's when things begin to move. That's when things begin to take place. That's when things begin to happen. That's when miracles begin to take place. That's when breakthroughs begin to happen. When I believe for it and I contend for it, that's when I see things begin to take place. You cannot have one outside of the other. You see, I'm concerned for the church today. And my concern, I believe, is valid because I'm concerned that we have become a people of great faith, but have become very laxed in our works. People who believe for the world, people who believe for breakthrough and miracles, and it's evident. I'll tell you why. You're here right now. You're here today because something that is said here, done here, you believe in it, resonates with you. And so you show up week after week after week. That's how I know that we have people who believe today. But have you taken your belief and turned it into tangible works? You know, if if you're hungry and you're starving and you just say, Lord, send me some food. Send me some food and we find you dead because you starved to death. But right down the street was an orange tree, an apple tree. Right down the street was a taqueria. Right down the street was KFC. Right down the street was Panda Express. And you never left. You expected all that stuff from your prayer just to show up on your table in your refrigerator. And you're getting upset at God because things aren't happening. Honey, open up your door. Take a few steps. Walk outside. Go and make something happen. That's faith and works coming together. We've become accustomed to saying, just waiting on the Lord. (laughs) Brothers, your breakthrough coming through, it's coming and I'm waiting on the Lord. Sister, is your breakthrough coming? Yes, and I'm waiting on the Lord. We've got people who know how to pray. But I love in the book of Joshua where the Lord tells Joshua, stop praying. There's sin in the camp. Go handle business. There is a moment where you need to stop praying, not stop praying because prayer doesn't work, but stop praying for something to happen and go and make something happen. You have to make something happen. Well, Pastor Nick, I thought God is the supplier of all my needs. Do you know that God's already placed inside of you everything that you could ever need? You are much smarter than you ever think. 
But we become a spoiled people that anytime we want something, all we got to do is put it on Facebook. And because we got generous people in the church and people who have great hearts, they'll fill that need. So what does it cause you to do? All you have to do is ask somebody and they'll take care of it. Sometimes you need to be brought to the point where no one does anything for you. You begin to do things for yourself, begin to work it for yourself, and put some works to your faith. Church can't just be a place of believing. It has to be a place of working. Church people shouldn't have nice and soft hands. You should have callous hands. Because you're working. You're doing something. But I'm just waiting on the Lord. I'm sitting here because the word says those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength and they'll mount up with wings as eagles. You know, and I'm taking that scripture. I'm just going to wait here. But literally, what we don't understand that waiting on the Lord does not mean that I'm sitting there waiting for God to do something for me. But it's like a waiter at a restaurant that says, I will go and serve and do these things until my breakthrough comes about. It means I am doing something. If you're broke and you're sitting at home and you're praying about getting money, you're going to be a prayed up person who's still broke. And if you're hungry and you're waiting at home and just praying, Lord, send me food, you're going to be a prayed-up person who's still hungry. And just because you're prayed-up does not mean if you didn't eat that day, you can't turn it into a fast. Stop spiritualizing stupidity. We're great at it. We do it all the time. We turn the stupidest things, excuse my language, into some of the most spiritual things. We have to learn to get to work, get busy. When God created mankind, do you know what he gave Adam first? He gave him a J-O-B. He gave him a job. He told them to tend the field. God never called us to be lazy people. Do you know that when God created man, he created man and brought him out of the ground? But God never went to the ground again to create man. He said, Adam and Eve shall come together. And out of the seed coming to the ground, children shall come about. God's not going to do things the same way as he did in the beginning. That was just a prototype. And he says, now it's up to you to work. You with me? You see, although I'm waiting on the Lord as a good saying as well as a biblical saying, it has crippled us to the point of doing nothing but waiting. So we got frustrated people in the church because we're still waiting for God to come through. And you got a frustrated God in heaven because he's waiting for you to get your works going on so that something could come about. So we're at a, we're, 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 we're locked up here. You're frustrated, God's frustrated. And you're getting mad because God's not moving. God's mad because you're not moving. You got to understand this. God already did his part. He already did his part. He doesn't have to do anything else. He already did. Everything he'd done already is good enough for you to make it through a lifetime and for mankind to make it through a lifetime. God's already done his part. You see, we don't have a problem in believing for a thing. We get hung up on the how. How it's going to happen. Lord, I'm broken. I don't know how I'm going to get money. God, I'm hungry, and I don't know how I'm going to eat. You need to come through. You need to do something. You need to make something happen. How is God going to do it? 
I want you right now to take out your cell phone if you got it. It's the only time I'm going to ask you to do this in church. Take out your cell phone. And for, for those of you that are selfie pros, here's your chance. I want you to take out your cell phone and I want you to snap a selfie of yourself. And then what I want you to do, go ahead, get your right angle, however you guys do it. I've never taken a selfie in my life, but if you want to do the duck lips, do whatever you got to do. Okay. You, however you want to make yourself comb your hair and put whatever filter or if you want to put on there no filter necessary, then that's okay as well. But I want you to take a selfie of yourself right now. And then I want you to take that selfie and I want you to send it to a person that will hold you accountable. Someone that you know that they're going to tell you if you ugly looking today that you're ugly. I'm talking about that person. And then I want you to put underneath that. I want you to put this caption underneath it. If you ever hear me saying, I don't know how something is going to happen. Please send this selfie right back to me because I need to be reminded that my miracle is with this side of me already. Just one selfie. We're asking, Lord, I don't know how we're going to make the payment this month, but the payment's going to come Through you, Lord, I don't know how this marriage is going to make it. It's going to happen through you. Why? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. Paul writes this. For God is the one who provides what? God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest for generosity in you. God is the one who provides what? God provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. God provides seed. God does not provide fruit. Hear me. God provides seed and not fruit. You could walk into any garden shop, the Home Depot, and they have little packets of seed, whether flowers or vegetables. How many know that those packets are not growing? They have seed. And in order for that seed to grow, what has to happen is someone has to do work to cultivate ground, fertilize ground, then poke a little hole in there, put the seed in there, cover it back up. And then for a few days, a few weeks, you're just watering dirt. The seed in itself in the packet is not growing, but inside of the seed is already the fruit. Inside of the seed is already the fruit. God does not provide fruit. He provides seed. And we've been praying, God, provide fruit. And God's been giving you seed. And you got bags of seed all over the place. And you're asking God, I've been asking for fruit. He says, I've given you a harvest. And what we've been holding on to is bags of seed. Lord, I don't know what to do with seed. Well, what you got to do is you got to work it, put it in the ground, and then let it grow. And then out of that comes the harvest. Because inside of the seed is fruit. And what is seed? Seed is potential waiting to be released. If you got a neighbor sitting next to you, just give him a little elbow. 
and tell them you got potential. Say, I've always seen it inside of you. And if you're sitting by yourself, just go ahead and give your knuckles or high five yourself and say, you got potential. I've always seen it inside of you. Seed is potential. You know that God created you with potential? God didn't say this, that you are automatically going to be successful. He says you have the potential to be successful. He didn't say, you know what, you're going to be blessed, but you have the potential to be blessed. He didn't say that you're going to have an automatically great marriage, but you have the potential to do so. Didn't say that your kids were going to be amazing and love you, but they have the potential to do so. Didn't say that you were going to be successful, but you have the potential to do so. Didn't say that you were even going to be a great Christian, but you have the potential to do so. Potential is locked up in the seed, but if you never put the seed in the ground, cultivate it and begin to work it, then all you have is wasted potential. And let me tell you this, what sin literally means is missing the mark. So when you do not use what God's given to you the right way, it's sin. You've missed the mark on it. When you don't succeed and God's called you to succeed, you're in sin. When all you have is a bunch of seed and potential locked up inside of you and you do nothing with it, you've just sinned. Seed is potential waiting to be released. And God created man in his image and in his likeness and placed inside of you the exact thing that was inside of him to be creative, placed in you the same thing that's inside of him to be successful placed in you the exact same thing that's inside of, of, of him, but he didn't make it come out. Why? Because you have to want it. You have to want it. It has to be revived in some of you. Some of you this year, you walked into 2019, you said, this is my year. Can I let you know something? Every year has been your year. Every year has been your year. If you did nothing with it, then that's no matter, you know, that's the reason why that it wasn't your year. Well, this is my year. Well, what are you going to do? Don't tell me this is your year. I preached last week in Milpitas and that, you know, by, by the second week of making our New Year's resolution, by the second week, they say 23% of people already give up on it. The first month, we're talking 50% of people have quit already. 50% of people who made a New Year's resolution don't even make it to the first month. Why? Because we're not used to getting our hands dirty. What kind of sweat equity have you put into making the purposes and promises of God in your life come about? Have you worked it at all? Have you had to stay up at night thinking, Lord, I don't know how this is going to happen but I know it's in here. Sat there with a blank piece of paper and a pen when everyone else is sleeping and here you are up at night. God, the idea's in here. Let it come out. Father, I feel something boiling up. God, let it come out. I have an idea. Let it come out. Even though everybody tells you you're crazy, the idea's it's been boiling, it's been marinating, this is going to be a great idea, but if you do nothing with it, then all it stays is a great idea. It's been said that there's nothing greater than a dream than to wake up one day and actually find out that it's become a reality. And some of us have been in dreamland. You're happy that you have a dream, but have you put works to it? 
For some of you, your dream requires you to go back to school. Have you even looked into it? For some of you, it's going to take a great step of faith. Have you even uh, approached it or even looked at it? Have you even talked to your family about it? What's it going to take? God's given you the seed. The potential is locked up inside of you. What are you doing with it today? You see, the moment the seed is put in the ground, heaven partners with it and blesses the harvest. You want God to bless your harvest? You want God's hands to be all over your harvest? Then put the seed in the ground. Be in obedience. Put the seed in the ground. It's when you take the step of faith. How was Peter able to step out and walk on the water? It's because he actually got out of the boat and all the other guys were stuck in the boat. I'm pretty sure after Peter walked on water, someone said, man, I should have got out the boat with them. Because I guarantee at that moment, if anyone had faith to get out the boat, they probably would have walked on water as well. You will never have your miracle walking on water happen until you step out the boat and take the step of faith and just do this. Put the seed in the ground. You see, there is a diligence that God requires of every one of us in order to fulfill the purpose and plan he's created us for. Why? Because nothing in the kingdom is automatic. Salvation had a price connected to it. It's called the blood of Christ. Salvation has a price connected to it, and still today, as you have received Christ as your Lord and Savior, the free gift of salvation, there's still a price that's connected to it. The price of sacrificing your life and saying, God, you are now mine. I live for you and not for myself. There is a price. Nothing in life comes for free. You see, the work, the, the, the word work is a Greek word, aragon. Someone say aragon. See, you didn't think you were going to learn a new language today, but there's a Greek word for you. What it means is this. It means to work, to toil. It means as an effort. Of or occupation, doing labor or work. Meaning this, that when God says that faith without works or faith without hard labor, faith without you putting some kind of sweat equity into this, faith without costing you something is not going to be anything at all. If it doesn't cost you something, you're not going to value it. That's why when someone borrows your car and they leave the gas tank half full or empty, they leave their cup in there, and you say, you know what? You could do all that because you don't got to make the payment. But when it's your car, you got to make the payment. You take care of it. That's why you get mad at your kids when they spill a little cereal in there. That's why you make the rule, no eating in this car. Why? Because you know that you are on the line to make that payment. It costs you something. And if salvation or your walk with Christ hasn't cost you something, no wonder why we could be laxed in it. No wonder why we say, I don't feel like coming to church today, and so we just stay home. Oh, you know, it's a nice sunny day, so I'm just going to go to the beach and have a nice day out there and enjoy God's creation. No, he says, don't forsake the fellowship of the brethren. This isn't an option. This is priority. When it costs you something. When it costs you something. When you were down to nothing and God reached you out, cleaned you up, set you on your way, and now you're starting to get a little success in there, don't you dare ever walk away and act like you did that by yourself. It costs him something that should cost you 
something. Aragon to work, toil as an effort or occupation, doing labor or work. Understand that God is not the rewarder of the lazy. You, you ever have a lazy friend? I'm talking the person who doesn't want to put in any kind of their own sacrifice into the pot. So you go out to eat and you always got to flip the bill. You know, they got money. but They don't want to pay. Guess who I stop inviting after a while to go out to eat with me? The lazy friend. Me and Pastor Matt had this rule, you pay one day, I'll pay the next day. It was just a rotating thing. Why? Because I understood that, you know what, if I'm going to invest into this friendship, I also have to, it has to cost me something. It has to cost me something. God is not the rewarder of the lazy. Pray all you want. You can sing all you want. Get prayed for all you want. You can cry all you want up here. But if you don't put in any works, all you're going to be is a cryful person, a person who worships and prays good at church. That's going to be about it. You're going to go home the same way, broken, lazy. Why? You have to put in some sweat equity into this thing. It has to cost you something. God is not the rewarder of the fearful. Well, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I take this step of faith. I don't know what's going to happen. God doesn't reward that. The Bible says that fear is a spirit and it's not of God. He does. He's not the rewarder of the fearful. But God is the reward of the diligent. When God gives you something and you make something happen with it, God is the reward of the diligent. When he's blessed you with a gift or a talent and you begin to use that for his honor and his, for his glory, God is the reward of the diligent. You see, he starts off small, and he watches how you act with the small stuff. And he says, if you could act right and correctly and make the small stuff work. Yeah. I heard a pastor say one time, he says, you have to learn to do more with less, because there'll come a day where you're able to do more with more. If you can't be diligent with the small if you can't be diligent with the, with the small blessings, then that's all you could get. God knows that's all I can trust you with. But with he who's faithful in the small, God will make ruler over what? Over much. God will bless you. It'll come through. Why? Because God knows if I gave this person a seed, man, look at they planted this tree right here. And out of that tree, they got the seeds out of all the other apples. Look at they have a whole orchard now of apple trees. All I gave you was a seed. God will bless it. Everyone else's apple trees aren't producing, but yours is producing the most apples. Why? Because God is the rewarder of the diligent. You see, God partners with those who are diligent to see the project through to completion. Nothing worse than to give someone a project and you go and find out how it's going and they haven't started on it or they return it to you halfway done. And now all of a sudden, the work that you handed off to somebody else now has to come back to you, and you have to complete half of their work. They said that no help is better than bad help. Some of us got some bad people in our life. They're, they're adding to you, not taking from you. You have to begin to surround yourself. If you're going to be successful, you have to begin to surround yourself with people who are hungry. I don't need successful people, but if you're hungry for it and you got the work ethic, then I know at that moment that you'll get there because you have a desire. And God will give you a small seed, and I know that you're working that thing. I could be around you. I could, I could train you. I could teach you. But if you're just lazy, 
I'm investing into bad ground, and the Bible calls that being a bad steward. Genesis 18.10. I'm going to close in a little bit. Genesis 18.10. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. The passage goes on to say, and she laughed with inside of herself because Abraham and Sarah were past the age of having children. But Abraham had a promise over his life that you would be the father of many nations. And now he finds himself in an old age and the promise hasn't come about yet. How many of you know that the prophetic word that was given to Abraham did not cause Sarah to be pregnant? Hear me. Just because a promise has been given to you does not make it automatic. Some of you have promises. All of you, you are overflowing with promises. You, you chase a prophetic word because you want someone to tell you something about yourself that's going to happen again because that excites you. If the word that you're going to Disneyland excites you more than actually being in Disneyland, then we have a problem. <laughs> the excitement is to get there, not to have the ticket in my hand, but to actually be in the park. I don't want to see pictures of Mickey. I want to take pictures with Mickey. The, 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 the whole deal of God's promises over our life and the purpose we were created is not so that we could get excited and walk around and say, you know, I got a promise, man. God says I'm going to be a millionaire. <laughs> Yet you're not even a hundred there. That's another word. You don't even have a hundred dollars. <laughs> but I'm a millionaire. I remember when, when my brother was playing freshman football and their team won their division championship, there was this kid who, who started the team with them, but he quit after what they call hell week in football. If you ever play football, you understand what hell week is. And in Manteca, we literally had hell week. 110 degrees, dark green helmets. You couldn't even touch your helmet when you took it off. And we played right in the beginning of summertime. And so this kid quits. And every game that we went to to watch my brother play, for some reason, this kid would always sit by my family. And you know what he would say as they're playing on the field and one of the teammates missed the play? Oh, if I was on the field, man, I would have made that play. But the reality is, is you're sitting with the fans, but you had the opportunity to be a player. Don't you complain from the pews when God's called you to do something great. If you're going to be on the team, then be on the team. Because all the other trash you talk from the sidelines really don't mean a thing. If someone's writing a rap, I just gave you some lyrics right there. (laughs) Abraham gets a prophetic word. And the prophetic word was the promise that I gave to you is coming about in your older age. And he says, next year, about this time, I'm coming back around. And I better see a baby. He says, I'll be back around about this time next year and your wife will be holding a baby. But the word did not cause Sarah to be pregnant. The Bible says that Sarah laughed. Abraham says, how in the world can this happen? 
But the word was released. You see, what the prophetic word did do, though, is it stirred up faith in Abraham. And he and Sarah had to do the work. We've got too many people that have got excited because something's been spoken over your life. The excitement should not be the word that's spoken over your life. The excitement should be that you are actually living it out. You've actually made it happen. A prophetic, the prophetic word stirred up faith in Abraham, where he trusted God again. And in his old age, where Abraham could do nothing about it physically, he said, I'm going to trust the Lord. And him and Sarah had to do the work. Understand this. They had one year to see the project to, through, uh, to completion. One year, he said, a year from now, I'm going to return. And she better be holding a baby. That was the word. So this is how it goes. They had three months of work to do. If you catch in reading in between the lines. <laughs> three months. They couldn't be intimate just one time. And Abraham said, well, I think it worked. No, for three months, I, I got to try. If we, honey, every single day, I'm sorry, but every single day, I got to make this word come about. Three months to make it happen. Nine months for Sarah to carry and deliver the baby. Why? Because in one year from the day, the prophetic word was given. They had to show evidence of their work. I wonder if we begin to put a timeline on ourselves of when we want the promises to come about and we hold ourselves to it. Will it happen? Too many of us are saying, You know, just waiting on the Lord. Here's another one. It's in the Lord's timing. Great cliches. Great cliches. And some of us have been waiting and waiting and waiting. And this is my year. And this is my year. And this is my year. Not knowing that every year has been my year. And last year was my year, and the year before that was my year. Why? Because in times of famine that I'm God's child and he favors me, I can make something happen when nothing else is happening all around me because God's got a promise over my life. I've been diligent to work the process. I put some sweat equity into this thing, and now something is coming about. Everyone else is asking, how did it happen? Well, I got a promise over my life, and I put my hands to work, and I made this thing happen. Three months to conceive, nine months to carry. Because in one year, they had to stand accountable before God. I wonder with the promise, if God would tell us, you have two years, three years, five years to make this happen. I wonder if we'd be a little more diligent. A little more diligent to make something happen. As I close, I want to ask you a question. What promise... Are you still holding on to? What promise are you still holding on to? What word are you still holding on to that God's given to you? Worship team, you could help me. You see, it's time to put a time limit on it and get to work. God, I'm giving myself a year and a half to make this happen. Put a time limit. Hold yourself accountable. Put a time limit on it. Lord, I want to get married and I'm giving myself two years. So what that means is this. I got two years to get into husband shape or wife shape. 
Hear me. You can't be asking for a spouse if you aren't something that somebody wants. Just because you are male doesn't mean that automatically a female wants to be with you. I will never hand my daughters over to some guy who can at least be as good as me or match up to who I am as a father. Why? Because I know what I've provided. I know what they expect. I know what is required to be a man to provide. And when it gets tough, I know what it is to stay in the trenches. I don't want some fool to come knocking at my door and say, we ran into some hard times. I need to move in with you. What kind of sweat equity did you put into making something happen? You need to get yourself in shape to fulfill the promise and purpose over your life. So if you need to be educated, get yourself educated. Stop writing it down in journals and stop telling people, I'm thinking about going to school. Set a time limit on this. Hold yourself accountable. Well, you know, I want to be involved in ministry. And you've been wanting to be involved in ministry for five years. Hold yourself accountable. Just jump in and do something. You see, God's already given you the permission. But now you got to get to work. Abraham and Sarah had to do something that they had not done in a long time. But when God's coming back to check up on you, I guarantee you will do something that you haven't done in a long time to get the results that he says you're supposed to have. Some of you today have given up on the promise. God's reviving it. Some of you today have said, I don't know if it's happening. I don't know if it's possible. God's reviving it. Some of you today, I agitated. I stirred up some things, but you know what? My word isn't going to make it come about. You You have to want it. You want a great marriage? They just don't happen. Committing yourself to somebody does not equate to a great marriage. Great marriages only come to those that are willing to put in the work to have a great marriage. To have strong families is because people put in the work, the sweat equity. When dads get home from work, instead of watching TV, they're actually interacting with the children. They do things to bring the family together. That's how you have strong families. You can't just expect it. You can't buy strong families. You can't take enough vacations to have strong families. Why? Because one time out of the year does not equate to a strong family. It's when you join together and you say, I'm going to make this work. I'm dog tired. I just sat in hours of traffic. I had a hard day at work. And you know what? I got this on top of me on top of that. But the moment you walk in, you switch hats to a husband or a wife. You walk in and you begin to invest into your family so that when you get older, you could reap the harvest that you planted in the younger years. I like going home been out of the house since I was 20 years old. I just hit 40 years old last Sunday. I still like going home because my parents invested into us. They wanted to spend time with us. We didn't take a lot of vacations. We didn't do this. We didn't have the money to. But they made the best with what they had. I remember times when I was a little boy and my dad asked us to break open our piggy bank just so he could get changed to write bark. And he, and he made this promise to us. I don't know if you remember this. He said, if you give me this money now, I promise one day I'll get you a house and I'll get you this. And guess what? He came through 
on his promise. I love going home. It's time to hold ourselves accountable. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. Thank you for downloading this message. For more information on our church, visit us at cwcbayarea.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash cwcbayarea.com.